Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, the Bears are two and three, but feeling a little bit better about the prospects of the rest of the season after a nice comeback in the second half of that game. Absolutely. There is there is hope in Mudville, which is which is Chicago for right now. It is a very different turn than really at any other point this season. Um, through five games now, and the offense has had fits and starts. They have not strung things together, and they have not looked, well, I'll just say competent uh, for any stretch. And they did that a little bit against the Vikings on Sunday, and they did it in the second half. Wish they'd done it in the first half too, but let's not get greedy. It was a nice thing to end on a positive note and say, aha, this is what we could be seeing given a few shifts uh, that we'll talk about, but it was encouraging and there has not been a lot of encouraging this season. Yeah. And I think that overall you have to feel pretty good about any kind of progress that you can get. And the first four games were rough for a lot of reasons. They were to break down an offensive line, you know, the, the weapons uh, on the outside have not been particularly good. David Montgomery has looked good, and then he was hurt. Cole Herbert looked good in his stead, um, and now they're kind of both back, and those guys didn't necessarily contribute that much in the run game on Sunday. David Montgomery certainly did uh, in, in the passing game, which was nice to see. But you're starting to try you – you've now seen a couple pieces work where you're like, hey, what if all of these came together <laughs> at the same time for you know an offensive game plan in one, one game? Would that be pretty good? And so I, I'm wondering if Washington might provide the the backdrop for that because they're a pretty average um, defense. There's nothing really that special about them. Their offense isn't very good, but that's that's a different story for another day. And so you wonder if maybe some of this can translate over into the next game because these things do take time. You are still figuring a lot of this out. And so is there is there any carryover from what we saw this game into neck into Thursday night, you know, quick turnaround here. Um, but uh, yeah, do anything else about the Vikings game before, before we move on? Um, no, it was good. I, I, it wasn't good as, as an overall effort, but um, we're going to talk about uh, not only the positive things. There were certainly plenty of negative things that happened in the first half, but um, maybe one of the, I think the strengths that are superpowers of bears over beers this year is that we get to shine a light on things that everybody says, ah, that was all terrible or, ah, that was all great. And very few things are all terrible or all great. 
And the first half of the Vikings game was no different. There, there were some really nice things that occurred. They didn't pan out. That's how, that's how the ball bounces sometimes in football. But you can see, hey, there were multiple elements working here, and it was it was really close to happening, which would have made it a very different game. And it wasn't just, oh, they screwed up again, which there's been a lot of this year. So it was nice to just sort of get out of that rut, and and hopefully we can bring you along on that ride. Well, let's get into the drinks. We on this show, if you are new, we we like to have a beverage. And I've now just kind of decided that I'm just going to bring bourbon on after a loss. Um, more than anything, because I really just wanted to open this new bottle. It's uh, very pretty. I got this in Chicago, actually, when I was in training camp. Uh, I, I had, hadn't been able to find it around here. This is the Smoke Wagon Small Batch Straight Bourbon Whiskey from Las Vegas. Uh, so this is a Nevada product. And I actually believe it's a MGP bourbon for those of you that care about bourbon so it's it's you know brought over from uh, distilled in indiana then brought over and then they barrel it in in nevada they do some stuff it's got a very cool little wax logo there but i figure since we're going to be talking about the shooter um you know this was a pretty good one to bring on so the smoke wagon for me uh tonight i'm gonna i've been excited to open this up since august so oh good cork uh, sound too i know i love the name smoke wagon is amazing yeah, it's got the two um, six shooters. If it, you know Justin Fields, like let's go. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, I'm going right down the middle because we got to see some right down the middle plays, and by that I mean offense is not always exciting. Good offenses are often kind of boring in the fact that they take what's there, they move the chains, they keep drives going. And there's not been a lot of that to celebrate. Um, so I went right down the middle with my beer as well. Good old red, white, and blue. Pass. Oh, my. <laughs> this is, see, not there exciting, not sexy, but it will get the job done. And that's the offense that Chicago really needs to establish as a base. Look, all the great, big, fancy shots down the field, those will come if you have a base and can keep yourself out there and can keep the ball moving. Um, so we got to see some of that. We got to see this offense go, Hey, there's nothing there. I'm not going to take a terrible chance. I'm just going to move the chains. And we got to see it two or three times in a row. And that was actually to me really exciting. So, uh, this is more a celebratory beer than you might think. So this is, uh, did you even say the name PBR yeah, PBR absolute PBR me I, ASAP. I, you know, I, I don't know that anybody really needs to hear me say it once they see the ribbon. I mean, come well, on. but not everybody's, you know, this is also an audio podcast for, for I know PBR 16 ounces of PBR. Yeah, sure. Tall boy. So. so my, my grandfather was such a PBR fan that he had a kegerator put into yes. uh, the dining room that had a PBR tap. Yes. So that's, uh, that's amazing. That's, that's a memory that I'll always have. There's got to be photographic evidence of that somewhere. I'll have to. I'm sure you'll have to ask, ask your mom yeah, to, because see uh, if mom can pull that out and I can tweet it out. But we're yeah, going to have to Photoshop me in there as black and white pulling the handle because <laughs> yeah. uh, that'll just be the span of generations. I'm not sure that I ever did that. I, I mean, certainly not for myself, but I don't know if I was ever asked to go, you know, pour a beer. But really? Like, I bartended at a, you know, while I was in college. And, sure. You know, so, so maybe that, maybe that was, you know, already learned behavior uh, before, before <laughs> muscle I got memory. Yeah. 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 I was like, Oh, this is, this is familiar. How do I know how to do this so easy? Uh, uh, I used to uh, fill my bottles up as a kid. So let's oh. talk about, you know, just real quick format this year is EJ and I are going to pick a player. 
And I just I think it's probably important to just note that um, you could spend you could spend 50 hours on game film each week. Like you really could. You could go in and you could grade every player. You could diagnose the plays. You could you could really spend a lot of time with the film. That would be great. If somebody wanted to pay me a salary to just do Bears film breakdown of everybody, um, sure. But that's also, I think I would probably go crazy after a while. But we we try to go in, you know, I spent two and a half, three hours doing my prep tonight. EJ's, you know, more than that. Um, to, to try to break down a player. That's what we're trying to do this year is to really go in deep on one player each week. We can't do more than one um, just, just from the time that it takes. And then certain players, or at least one player in particular, um, we will team up and we will we will try to cover it from different angles. And that that's Justin Fields. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. And so uh, normally we would kind of flip for who's going to go first. It just makes more sense with how EJ broke down Justin Fields for him to start uh, on this one. And then I'll come in with more of like mapping out the, the past plays statistically over the year and, and kind of show if there's any patterns and, and, uh, and, you know, I'm going to continue to do that throughout the year. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll have updates um, on Justin's progress throughout the year as well. So this is not the only time we're going to talk about Justin Fields. I imagine we're going to have at least two, maybe three more times where we're going to come back and we're going to talk about him and break down the film. Um, this was a, the first game that we really could do this, uh, though, with, with, with not just being completely depressing, because it's been a rough start for Justin. But I think that he showed a lot of good stuff on Sunday, and so I'm really excited to get into this. Um, EJ, you, uh, you took a look at the All-22, and you've got kind of your, your background in him that you scouted him coming out a couple of years ago. So why don't you start us off with that breakdown of what you saw of him as a prospect and let's go from there. Absolutely. Uh, is anybody before we get started surprised that JB has charts? <laughs> yeah. If Raise you your are, hand. Uh, you're new. You're welcome. We're, we're happy to have you at the show. Um, Justin Fields drafted in the first round out of Ohio state. Number 11 overall He's drafted in 2021. So that makes this his third season in the pros. He is 23 years old. Keep that in mind. He was not an overaged prospect when he came out in the draft. Uh, all, all the things that we are heaping on him as the starting quarterback of, of a seminal franchise in the NFL. He is 23 years old. Lots of room to grow. He is 6'2 and a half. 228 pounds. Uh, we talk about RAS or relative athletic score a lot on this podcast. He did not have a full RAS score because if you don't run enough of the tests, they don't, they give you an incomplete. Basically he did not fully test. He only ran, uh, but he was fast. And we all know that four, four, six in the 40, very fast for somebody, his size and a one, five, nine, 10 yard split. So not just fast. He's quick too. Uh, that shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that watched his game at Ohio state or, um, you know, his game since he's been in Chicago. He has a good set of wheels under him. 2021 last year, played in 12 games and started 10. Uh, was 159 for 270 on pass attempts. That's 58.9%. Totaled up 1,870 yards. He had seven touchdowns versus 10 interceptions. He took 36 sacks, which is an 11.8 sack percentage. That's the number of times sack percentages of the number of times you tried to throw the ball. How many times did you get sacked? So they take out uh, other snaps that are not pass plays and just get down to, hey, if you're trying to pass, how many times do you get sacked? 
EJ, let me let me ask you, as a prospect coming out, mm-hmm. there were five quarterbacks taken in the first round That's of right. that draft, plus Davis Mills uh, a little later on. Where did you have Justin Fields in terms of that, you know, quarterback ranking for that year? And then mm-hmm. I'm curious if you could come, if you could add in. Well, you could add in this year's prospects, but I know that there's nobody that's going to top him from this year. Um, But what about like the previous couple of years? Like where did he stack up for you in terms of that quarterback ranking coming out? Yeah, it's a great question. Justin was second the year he came out to Trevor Lawrence and not by much. He was pushing for the first spot for me, and that was not a super popular viewpoint, but it wasn't a super unpopular viewpoint. I was not the only voice in the chorus saying "Eh," with a couple of turns, depending again on where he lands, because where they all land, quite frankly, because landing spot is so important, not just to quarterbacks, especially to quarterbacks, but to all players in the NFL. We see it time and time again. Talented player lands in a in a great spot. They go off immediately. Talented player lands in a not great spot. They might do okay, but they might not until they move or the regime changes. Um, both Trevor and Justin landed in terrible spots, which was a bummer for NFL fans and, and fans of those franchises. Um, Justin had a lot of really good things. Uh, he had some limitations as well. His really good things deep ball accuracy he has always been a great deep ball thrower outside the numbers he has a tremendous arm we talked about the wheels he is really good in a play action attack um his limitations were quick game he was not he's sort of the opposite of Tua Tungavailoa coming out of Alabama Tua was a quick decision maker quick throw maker a get it to your receiver and get yak guy that was his that was his gig he's really good at it he's still really good at it um that was not Justin's gig. It's not largely what he was asked to do at Ohio State. Um, and he takes a second to process. And he always has. And that's okay. You can design a very successful offense that way. Uh, but he's got a great arm. He's extremely intelligent. I've never spoken to him personally. Everyone I have that ever has directly says sharp, 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 sharp guy. Very high football intelligence. Rarely makes the same mistake twice. Um, so he is all there in terms of what you want from a quarterback in processing. There's a physical piece where it just, it doesn't translate and it takes a little while longer to spin up. And that's going to be magnified when you get to a faster game like the NFL. And we've seen that we saw it, you know, in the first couple of years, and we've seen it even this year as he again, learns a, a new offense, new terminology, gets used to new teammates. There were certainly times throughout the first four games for sure. We saw a lot less of it this week, which is great. But the first four games where he just, you're like, come on, man, come on, come on. It's there, throw it, get rid of it, move, do whatever. And it was just a tick too long. And you know, that results in sacks, broken plays, lots of things. What about the year before? Would you have drafted anybody, you know, before? Uh, I don't want to push you too hard, but yeah, no, I mean, year after you were correct, there's nobody from last year's class that would have pushed him. He would have remained sort of number two. If you combine the last two years worth of classes the year before he honestly, he probably still would have stayed there. He's a very good prospect coming out, has all the physical tools you want. Again, tons of football intelligence, very coachable kid. Um, uh, very good prospect, like great, you know, was he Andrew Luck? No, because he had his limitations. Uh, but he's like, whatever the next half tier down is, he's right there as a, as a moldable guy that's already had success. Um, he's not, you know, 
you look at folks like Josh Allen who are coming from Wyoming and there are always going to be questions about level of competition and, and really what Josh put together as a, as a college resume was very, very different. What Justin had put together as a college resume was we got it. Like I've done it. I've beat everybody I need to beat. I've put up huge statistics at a school that has a very heavy schedule. Like there, there weren't any more questions for him to answer in college. Yep. Okay. So 2021 production, not great, but we know that was uh, a year in which Matt Nagy did not have a plan to integrate him, didn't give him snaps with the first team. He came in kind of by necessity, got thrown to the Wolves in his first game, got sacked a billion times and didn't look a whole lot greater after that because the coaching staff, as we know, failed to adapt and certainly to shift to his skill set. Not ideal. When I talk about landing spot, that's what I mean. A coaching staff basically acting actively against you which is a terrible terrible thing 2022 production so far we all know it's not great we're through five games uh 49 of 88 so that's 55.7 percent we've all seen those struggles 679 yards passing that's the lowest in the nfl currently three tds and four interceptions so middling on both not a lot going on and 18 sacks, which is a lot. If you remember, he took 36 all of last year and we're only five games in. That is a 17% sack percentage. Last year, 11.8, which was not great. It's, that's high. 17, a lot worse. Uh, so we all know the offensive line has been a massive problem so far. And getting him time there, we've all seen many, many plays where he has less than two seconds to establish himself. And, and offenses don't work when you have less than two seconds. There, there are very few plays on an offense that work in less than two seconds. So um, not great, but we saw a turn on Sunday. And that's that's what feels pretty good about this. So the the raw numbers say, oh, God, terrible failure. Like, get him out of here. That's why you don't just look at raw numbers with with really any player, but certainly developing and certainly young quarterbacks takes a bit, especially when they haven't been in the same system um, year after year, which Justin has not. And uh, everybody's still sort of meshing, gelling, learning. That's why you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater after four games. Yeah, I think that one thing to kind of think about is this number, these numbers are still really low in terms of sample size for a quarterback. Like none of this is stabilized. And then you have the weird, the weirdness of the early games. So it's not like this is going to be predictive of what the rest of the year is going to look like. And like you say, it felt like a little bit of an inflection point. You got the new offense, but overall, I think you're, you're seeing, you know, that sack percentage is, is crazy. And if that continues, like it's, you know, you're, you're going to be setting some team records here. Uh, basically this is, is how bad that is. Um, potentially the, the, the touchdowns, interceptions, you know, you, you never want to be under water. You'd like to see two to one or better in terms of ratio. So we'll, we'll track that. We'll see if that can improve, but the rest of it, I think is a lot of, it's just been small sample size, you know, game flows have been a little weird. Um, they've certainly had success in the run in a couple of games, uh, and it's kept some of that volume down, but hopefully we see more than, you know, let's see a 30 pass game at some point. Let's see what that looks like. Let's, let's see him go on. Let's see if he can get into a rhythm here. Yeah. The thing to remember is if you're, if you're sort of truly counting and unholy roller says second year, true second year is a player, third calendar. You got it. Second year is a player for Justin Fields. Um, the thing to remember is if you add it up and, and depending on how you consider his first year under Nagy, even with total number of games he's appeared in, he is just passing one full season. Right. Like right now. Yeah. It's like 15 starts in. 
Yeah. And if you go 12 and five with appearances, that's 17. And that is, you know, the new number of games in a season. He is just now passing one full season. So this would be like the end of his true rookie season. If that was a thing, um, it's not, but it's something to keep in mind with that low sample size. So I've got a lot of plays. I'm not going to go through them all. I'm going to pick out some of the ones I think are most instructive, both in the first half and the second half. Because again, there were some things in that first half. I was watching that first half live and I was like, ugh, this is terrible. But again, I was watching all the other games too, so I didn't hit every play. And as I went back and looked, certainly in more detail at the at the All-22, there were some of those plays that were really good. So I want to hit a couple of those in the first half and then we'll move into the second half because I want to talk about production in just this game. If we're talking about small sample size, one game, this game against the Vikings, he was 15 for 21. Completion percentage jumps to 71.4. Again, we've been talking about numbers in the middle 50s. For this game, 71.4. That's a pretty solid number. It's a really solid number, actually. 208 yards, bit low by overall standards. But again, we all saw the first half. There were only 95 yards worth of production in the first half. 208 turned out to be a decent game. One touchdown, no interceptions. I like that. That's solid. Interceptions can be fickle. It's not always a quarterback's fault, but I love the number zero. That's that's great. And two sacks, just two. That is nowhere near an 18% percentage. It's way lower than that. So all of those numbers are better, every single one. And the 118.7 rating is 33 points higher than any other rating he's had this year. So massive improvement across the board. This is why we get excited about this particular game. We saw progress. We saw some good results. Um, first play I want to talk about is pretty early uh, for in terms of Bears possessions. First quarter, 743 left in the quarter. Bears are marching. They basically scheme up a play-action shot, and it gets snuffed out by DPI. Bum, bum, bum. So the Bears did everything right. Vikings pulled a penalty. Bears still get the gain off DPI, but that penalty was for a reason. If there, if there are good penalties and bad penalties, if you're a defense, this was a good penalty. <laughs> right. Because if he doesn't pull him down, it's a touchdown. Like, this is or, Patrick or, Peterson basically mm-hmm. saying, I'm beat. I'm a savvy veteran. I know what happens here if I don't, if I don't do this. I'm exactly. pulling, pulling the emergency cord. And this was a play, again, if you were watching this on a TV angle and you're just really frustrated and you didn't see the contact, it looks like Justin missed him by 15 yards because he threw it as if he wasn't going to be impeded. He gets impeded, knocked down on the sideline, so the ball sails harmlessly over his head. And you think, God, why can't the Bears do anything right? If you look back at the all 22, the timing for this play was on. So small fake pitch to the left out of the shotgun. And then Justin basically reverses field and rolls right. This is a design to give him time, get the defense flowing to the left. I'm going to move to the right. And I'm clearly looking at my two options on the right, the short to medium option. And then this double move, which is going to take a second to develop. But if I get a one-on-one on that double move with Mooney, I'm probably going to take the shot. He gets the move. He takes the shot. He gets him one-on-one. He takes a good-looking shot here, too. This ball is catchable. It is inbounds. It is on time. Like, this is a, I got him, I got him, I got him. Peterson knocks him down. I don't got him. So, fails to complete. Patrick Peterson, again, he bit on the double move, and as soon as Mooney was next to him, he's like, this is the last time I'm going to see that guy. (laughs) Because I took a step forward when he throttled down. He is now equal with me, but I'm moving the wrong way. I'm never going to catch up to him. Patrick Peterson is not as fast as he used to be. He is much bigger than Darnell Mooney, and he simply uses that to knock him over. He just goes, nope, 
forget it. I'm going to drag you down. You're not getting this. Um, without that, it's a likely TD. Harrison Smith is racing across the field. He maybe makes a play at the pylon, but I bet Mooney scores because the ball was out there. He had he was even and leaving with Peterson. That's a game changer. Middle of the first quarter, you throw a deep play action shot and score. That is that is a tone setting play. And the only reason they missed it is because the defense got burned and said, you, you don't get to <laughs> like everything else for that play lined up. He had protection. He rolled out. He threw from a good base. He threw on time. Mooney hit the move. He was going to be there. The defense was not in position with a layer behind him. That's probably a touchdown. So even and leaving is fantastic. I don't know where you picked that up, but that what? Is, uh, have I, you never heard if you're even if he's even, he's leaving. I love it. Hello, oh, guys. Great scouting term, which means like, hey, if you're if you're hip up and we saw this with Devontae Adams in the game on uh, Monday night, uh, you know, he, that was the most disrespectful hand raise. So when receivers are open or they think they're open, they'll throw their hand up to, to signal the quarterback. It's called a flag. So they'll flag the quarterback and Devontae Adams is even and double covered and throws up the flag. Most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. And this is the long looping touchdown when Carb threads it in over two guys. Devontae Adams goes, I don't care if there's two guys on me and they're on my hip. Dude, throw it. And he does, and they score. And I was like, holy crap. Uh, one of the coolest things I've seen. I was like, what does he do? Oh, my God. They hit it. That's great. Um, fun stuff. Um, there's another missed Mooney TD, and it's only like a minute later in game time. Quarter one, 646. This is a missed TD to Mooney. Um, I know you've watched this play a ton of times. Uh, I saw you going back and forth with Doug Ferrar on social media about it. So uh, situation, ball is at the bike's 27. The Bears run Mooney. He is aligned to the field, which is the wide side. When I say boundary, you're on the hash closest to the boundary. You would be in between the hash and the boundary. Field is the open side, the, the side, the side with more space. So Mooney is aligned to the field in the slot and he runs what looks like it should be a corner route. At least that's the route that Justin threw. Now, a corner route is like a post route. It just breaks away from the ball. It's the same route. Post breaks in towards the ball. Corner breaks the same way, but out away from the ball. So Mooney in the slot to the field runs up and looks like he's supposed to be running a corner route basically to the pylon. And this is the question <laughs> is which pylon? Yep. Because he runs vertically, like he stems more vertically. He gets a good move. He's Mooney is exceptional at turning defensive backs hips. He will put in a stab step that will get them to turn the wrong way, basically run around through their blind spot and, you know, use his speed to get open. He is a great technician that way. He does it every game multiple times. He did it multiple times in this game. This is one of those times. So he gets this guy to turn to the inside and he starts running towards the end zone. He has him. Again, he is pretty even with him, but he has good leverage. Cornerback is inside. There's space to the outside. This is set up correctly. So again, they get the one-on-one, -on -one, but they miss because of this communication. Mooney runs really vertical, almost kind of like a nine fade, which is like a corner out, but adjusted a little bit towards the middle. He doesn't cut as steeply as you think he would if he was going towards the front pylon. Justin throws it to the front pylon and you get this awkward uh, sort of adjustment, turning my route a little bit steeper and I'm a step away as opposed to it felt like to me. And I have no inside information here that they were in the they were in the huddle. And he said, cool, man, run it. I'm going to throw it to the pylon. And Mooney went, OK. And he thought, 
back pylon because that's the way he was running. And Justin thought front pylon and he threw it to the front pylon and Moody went, I can't quite turn enough to get that, even though he was open and had leverage. So just miscommunication from the Bears, but the play was run correctly, had protection through presumably what's a good ball. We don't know. Uh, but because of miscommunication, that ball drops harmlessly to the turf, not a touchdown. Again, they could have had another one right then, a minute later. Two touchdowns in the first quarter on the road in Minnesota? Like, okay, <laughs> that is a very different looking game. I came to the conclusion that, you know, mis- miscommunication is a is a very fair way to put it. I think that and Justin knew where he wanted to put that ball and put it on him. I don't think Justin misses the throw by seven yards of actual space. I think that ball was exactly where he wanted it. And so you just have to assume it's miscommunication. We talked about how much these guys work together in the off season. Mm-hmm. Not quite there yet. Right. Like, like you said, uh, maybe, maybe just not directly communicating exactly what they needed there. Maybe they read something wrong, you know, in the moment, but I think fields definitely put that ball where he wanted it. And he, you know, he, he lets it go and Mooney's not out of his break. That's exactly what you want. Right. Like everything about that was great. Yeah. Um, it was just that they weren't on the same page and, the, and then it looks terrible. Um, yeah. But you know, when they are on the same page, that's a touchdown and we're all freaking out easily. Like that's an easy Super touchdown. Easy touchdown. Yeah, There's yeah. no like DB was going to make a play on the ball. He couldn't have, no. it would have been DPI would have been on the one yard line. Like the whole bit, like that is an easy touchdown if they get the pile on. Right. So Again, hopeful, but look terrible in the field. You're, you're like, why can't the Bears do anything right? He was open. He didn't hit him. You go back and you go, oh, man, like that was just that was just that. There's no other explanation for that. Um, I want to talk about the first PBR throw of this game. Um, this is a corner hole shot that's just dropped. Uh, second quarter, 418, a game clock. Ball in the Bears, 40. This is a long developing route down the boundary. It is basically um, ESB, our side aligned uh, to the field running down. He has to outrun the short coverage and stop before he gets to the long coverage, which is the safety coming over the top. He does it beautifully. Takes a while. Justin holds the ball. He has enough time. He hits the hole. There is a hole there between the short corner and the long corner. He throws it high. ESB is a big guy. He jumps up, he gets both hands on it, and he flat out drops it. He literally, it hit no him. contact, just hits him right hits here. It's not a contested catch. He's looking right at Justin. He turns, the ball's coming. It's not right on top of him too quickly. He holds his hands up and he just bricks it. He just flat out drops it. And that why I call that a PBR throw is that was, again, a well-designed throw against the defense called. He had enough time. He delivers it smoothly on target for the receiver in question. Uh, you know, he wouldn't have gotten hit even right after he caught it. He would have had a step um, when he came down before he had any contact. He just flat out dropped it. And that's 23 yards worth of pitch and catch production. Like you drew it up. You say, go out there and stop. When you turn around, it'll be there. It is. He didn't catch it. So, you know, again, line protected. Justin made the right call. Justin made a very good throw. You get nothing for it and you go, why can't the Bears do anything right? And, you know, but it's, again, different receiver, different day, even same receiver, different throw. He caught some later in the game. That's that's like as easy and straightforward and black and white NFL one on one offense like that is a chain mover, pure and simple. It's right there. They had it and then they didn't. So 
still not you, you don't get psyched about that but you look at it and you go that's this far away from being a 23 yard completion which is an explosive play by anybody's measure so right. um doesn't look like an explosive play it's not super sexy it's literally you know 15 18 yard stop route just didn't work so that's a that's a pbr throw that just ended up on the turf which is a bummer uh last one i want to talk about in the first half this is the big completion to mooney Second quarter, 154 left. Um, this isn't even a particularly well-executed play. Like, it's good enough, and I, I don't want to try and put too fine a point on it or say, oh, he could have done this or he could have done this. Like, it was good enough to make a play. He made a play. This is more Mooney hero ball uh, right. in terms of making the reception than it maybe needed to be, but it doesn't matter. This is what it looks like when you win. So I don't want to get too nitpicky or carvy about this play. I just want to say it was more spectacular uh, in the end than it probably needed to be. So balls on the 50, the bears go empty. They went empty a lot in this game, which is basically five wide receivers, no backs in the backfield, um, empty shotgun. They, they went empty shotgun a bunch in this game and it's trips to the field, which means three receivers to again, the wide side. Mooney wins the release and turns the DB. Stop me if you've heard this one before, because <laughs> this he'll do it over and over again. He does it here again. Um, DB makes a really nice recovery. There's a technique called speed turn, which is exactly when this happens. You turn your hips the wrong way. A fast guy starts going the other way. You just basically bail. You flip your head as fast as you can and start just pin your ears back and run for five yards before you do anything. DB does a pretty nice speed turn and gets back in the play here. He is, he is with Mooney uh, as this ball starts to come in. The ball's pretty well thrown, and by that I mean he gives his wide receiver a chance versus a defensive back with inside leverage. He gets the ball right. out there, it is past him, and it is towards the boundary, which is exactly where it's supposed to be. Is it the finest throw? No, but it's a football game. You don't always make the finest throws. This throw is what we call good enough. Didn't hang the guy up. Didn't overshoot him by five yards. It's in the envelope. It's in the big cone of catchability, if you want to think of it that way. Is it perfect? No. Is it good enough to make a play on? Obviously, it is. Now we get to now we get to the part that's a little odd. So Mooney sees it coming in. He slows. This is vet savvy already. Slows just enough to get a hand on the defensive back. Nothing that's going to get him OPI or anything else, but he slows down just enough to engage the defensive back. And right as the ball comes, he makes this really dynamic move where he basically disengages, leaps sort of backwards and up towards a pylon and snags it with one hand. That is a wildly dynamic move. <laughs> it requires a lot of athleticism and a ton of skill. Like this is a timing play through and through. Could he have simply turned and caught that over the shoulder, Willie Mays style? He could have. Might he have gotten contact over the back from the defensive back that he wanted to basically separate from a little bit? Yep. Did it make it a much harder catch? It did. <laughs> but he completed the catch. Again, this is what it looks like when you win. Justin threw a good enough ball on time in the right place versus the defensive back with leverage. Mooney decided to catch it however Mooney wanted to catch it, and he caught it. End of story. This is like uh, like a high dive, and the judges are like, "Oh, the degree of difficulty on this <laughs> this selection is you know ten, right?" Like, I mean, yeah. he went for like the highest degree of difficulty, and then he made it, and it was like, "Whoa, this is like a perfect score." Um, you know, like I said, if he if he does you know more over the shoulder, or if he does a you know a move to where he he goes up with both hands, 
um, you know, and brings that down, which I think, like you said, he slowed down a little bit. If he keeps running, he could probably do that. Um, try to get both hands on it, you know, one way or the other. It's not nearly as impressive. And so that's just instinct that, you know, at some point he's, he's making his athletic decision in the moment. That's not mm-hmm. something he could probably even explain to yep. you. It was just a feel <laughs> thing, but you know, the result is one of those catches we're going to watch forever. I mean, that, that's the reality that that play is yeah. now part of, of what we are as bears fans. That's how great of a catch that was. Yeah. I was looking at something else, uh, another game when this happened and then I saw it in, uh, the halftime, uh, highlight loops that came up on all the games. Right. And I was like, when did that happen? Holy crap. That seems pretty amazing what they got out of that. Like, okay. Um, so, uh, the end zone play at the half just before the Monty TD. I just wanted to bring up this is not a great design. So this is a passing play right before the Monty TD. Two receivers end up on top of each other in the end zone. They basically run like mesh. And if you're familiar with mesh, the two inside receivers go up and cut and usually cross. But there's no more room in the end zone. And so these two guys and their defenders go up and cut and basically meet at the field goal post and kind of like go, oh, now now what do we do? There's four of us here like. So it wasn't really where the play was designed, but it was not a great design for a red zone play. Probably should have been adjusted. Doesn't really matter. We end up getting the money TD and then it's halftime. So based on that first half, what I just described sounds a whole lot different than the way I felt during the first half when I was watching this game, which was dejected. I saw a lot of penalties. I saw a lot of missed opportunities. I saw very low scoring and I went, oh man, like, Again, it just felt like every time I looked up, they were doing something wrong or something bad or something wasn't going their way. And when I went back and watched the All-22, I'm like, that could have been a 21-point first half, like, easily through the air. Like, you know, they ended up scoring. But, like, there, there's 14 points straight up within the first, like, half of the first quarter that they missed by a DPI and a miscommunication on pylon. And then there's, you know, couple more throws in there that could have easily led them to a touchdown drive they could have scored 21 points through the air in the first half like easily that's not a stretch that's not if everything came together that's like right. if two things went right right how'd you feel in the first half when you, you were watching i bet there was some screaming you know i don't do that much anymore uh, <laughs> you know, watch watch by myself i'm you know pretty calm uh try to try to be try to be calm uh, during the game. You know, I'm getting a little Zen. bit wiser, a little wiser Zen. in my old age. Uh, I, I think that I was, um, I was a little frustrated because you can't really tell in real time exactly what's happening, but that, you know, that especially the, the, the pylon ball, you know, I'm like, that's there. Like that's, that's just missed opportunities. And, you know, like that first penalty coming out of, of the game where we're blasting games running onto the field and they like, uh, the rest run up, you know, Hey, this is, you're substituting, you know, even though you're just bringing the 11th guy on. And you know, sometimes it's like, Hey, just, just, just run, just run the play with 10 guys. If that's, if that's, if that's what you're going to do. Uh, you know, do. I, I don't know. So there was just kind of frustration from that. And, and it was a lot of frustration on the, the other side of it. Um, and you just thought, okay, well, I mean, this confirms some priors that I thought at the beginning of the year, Vikings are a much better football team. Uh, this is going to be a boat race. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be a rough week. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the first half, it's like, okay, a little something going here. And then they get the ball. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we can see if we can make a game of this. 
Yeah, I think I felt the same way. I put out a tweet uh, right before halftime said, man, they're going to have to have a complete turnaround just to keep from getting boat raced, like just to keep from getting blown out. Like they're, they have to change almost everything, um, including on the defensive side, which we're not talking about today. Um, Terps in the comments said there was nothing wrong with throw by fields. I don't mean to say there was anything wrong with throw fields. The field, the throw fields was where it needed to be for a receiver to make a play versus a DB with inside leverage. Um, you know, if you want to get into the ticky tack finer stuff, I, I tried not to, you know, could he have thrown a nicer ball? Yeah. Did he need to No, that was a perfectly good ball. Uh, and I don't want to say anything else uh, contrary to that because I don't believe it. It was a good enough ball for sure by Justin Fields for his receiver to go make a play. And that's what you want your quarterback to do. Um, big fan of JT O'Sullivan, the QB school. He's on YouTube. Check him out. Former NFL QB. Love the way he communicates, talks about the game. And he'll say this like, yeah, you can get like super pick it apart. That's not the way this works. That ball's good enough. Like the the quarterback has to throw the ball there and he threw it there. You can get super picky, but that's what had to happen. And it happened. So good enough. It's kind of like a lineman grade, right? Plus or minus. That's a, that's a plus throw. It's where it needed to be. So good call out, Terps. Uh, let's, have to- uh, let's pause right here for a quick break and we'll get into the second half on the other end of it. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, EJ, let's get back into this. Let's talk about the second half, and then let's uh, talk about some statistics stuff and some mapping stuff that I did. We'll run through a bunch of these more quickly. Quarter three, 1245, we get Komet down the seam. Good God, this is a celebration moment. (laughs) Not only because we saw it so many times in preseason, we all assumed that this was going to be a staple and a mainstay of the offense. We were really excited about it. this is a this is the simplest route you can run, folks. This is a really simple stop route to the hole in the zone. It's basically run 10 yards and turn like that's the route lined up in line uh, balls on the Vikings. 46 Komet is in the tight slot to the boundary snap runs 10 yards, stops, turns around, catches the ball. This is a PBR throw big time. This is a chain mover. This is a, I turned around the balls in my numbers and then commit bulls for some really nice yak, which he has a tendency to do. Um, Love that. That's just a plus. But in terms of like play design and simplicity, this is a plus B equals C and NFL ease. Like run out there, stop between the two guys. I will hit you between the numbers, then do your thing. Like, and they did it. And we've seen them not do that a lot in the first four games. And it was like, that's it. 
right there. You need two or three of those a drive and right. it'll keep like, just do that more. He can do that. Um, so I was really excited about something, you know, somewhat simple. Seems like boring stuff, but it sustains drives. It scores points and it wins football games. That's the, that's the truth of that throw. Um, third quarter, 1134. Um, Justin rolls out of a sack for a clean first down run. This is Justin, Justin bailing out of a pocket that is disintegrating for the right reasons at the right time and using those wheels positively in the first month of the season, we saw him bail out of some pockets and I don't blame him because his line has been evaporating at strange intervals and that does not lead to a lot of security as a quarterback. So we've seen him bail out of some good pockets, some clean pockets. We've seen him bail out too early. This is not that. This is him avoiding what would be a clear sack, rolling out to an open side and picking up an easy first down. And he needs to do that. That's a facet of his game. It threatens the defense. And this is a perfect example. Ball on the Vikes 18. So this is a red zone play. Two wide receivers to the boundary, one tight end in line to the left. It's an unbalanced formation to the right. They're trying to they're trying to move the Vikings that way. They're definitely looking for the passing options on that side. Fields wants Komet down the seam again. Komet's on the right side of this formation, but he's bracketed by two defenders. So this is the right call. Like Fields pulls this ball down and he should. He looks right at Komet. He's got a guy underneath him and a guy over the top of him. He's running kind of down a little middle hook route to the to the tight end or to the end zone. And he just lets him go. He's like, nope, I'm not going to throw that ball. And he shouldn't in a compressed situation inside the red zone. Feels the backside pressure. This is a great quarterback skill that's not really quantifiable. Either you have it or you don't. Fields has it. Spins out. Whole open side. Left side is wide open because there was no receivers over there. All he's got is green grass. This is he. This is an easy, no contact first down run. This is my favorite kind of quarterback run. Like use your wheels, slide past the marker. Don't take a hit. Fresh set of downs. You're tighter in the red zone. Like this is just good, good, good. Like saw the throw, said nah, nope, and immediately whipped out of there. Turned around to the right side, and because he's got a great set of legs, just poof, past the marker easily. That's frustrating to a defense. They basically cover all the receivers. Quarterback makes a speed turn and he's gone. So love that play from Justin. It's it's running for the right reason. Um, third quarter, six thirty eight left to game time. Chain mover to Mooney. This is just like one they missed in the first half. They missed a little um, second quarter out route to Mooney because he threw it sort of low and behind him. He did it on purpose. He was trying to insulate Mooney from a hit. He was trying to keep from leading him into a defender, but that ball dropped to the turf and it was a uh, one of those, again, sort of throw it in the bucket of why can't the Bears have nice things in the first half. Different route, different setup, same throw, and this is just a, a little chain mover. Ball this this the, is a little whip route from this Mooney. This is the whip route. Exactly. Yeah. Nailed it. Ball in the Vikes 24. It's third and four. They need it. Mooney's in the slot to the boundary side. He jukes the LB in short coverage inside. Or sorry, nope, one above it. Ball and Bears 45, third and six. They need it. They, they motion Mooney to get to empty. He's in the backfield when it starts. He comes up and across the formation. That helps Justin see the defense, understand whether they're man or zone, and get his sort of pre-snap look aligned. Cornerback is playing off. Mooney runs a little whip route to the inside, which basically looks like a little in-breaking route. You pirouette and head towards the sideline. It's basically just a hard fake to the inside to give you a little bit more for the out. Um, Fields is on time and on target with this throw. It's only about a three-yard throw. 
He throws it about three yards short of the sticks, but he hits Mooney right in the chest while he's running. Doesn't miss him low and behind like he did in the first half. Mooney easily gets out there plus five yards because he's quick, gets past the marker, scoots up the side. Beautiful, again, PBR throw. This is a chain mover on time, on target. Simple throw, get it past the sticks. New set of downs, keep moving. Loved it. Next play, Getsy dials up a deep shot. Fields doesn't like the look of the coverage, so he runs for another first down. <laughs> Love it. He looks at it and he goes, mm, nope, I'm not. I don't need to like I could, but eh, I'm not not 100 percent sure that one's going to work or even 70 percent sure. So I'm going to use my legs and I'm going to scoot. I'm going to get another first down. I love that. This starts to frustrate the Vikings. You can see it. They're like, damn it. <laughs> we had the guys covered, right? We had everything all covered up and we didn't account for him. And he's got another first down and now they get to take four more shots at us. Not cool. Um, you can see it. There's some there's some bowed heads in the Vikings defense on the A-22 after this one. Third quarter, uh, 144, another missed TD to Mooney. This is this is a bummer. Ball in the Vikes, 24. Third and four, Mooney's in the slot to the boundary side. This is, this is one I wish they had. It's tough throw. It's tough throw, it's tough catch. Like, it's, it's not, oh, he should have hit it. It was wide open. I, I don't mean to make it sound like that. Right. So jukes the linebacker in short coverage inside and then toasts Harrison Smith towards the corner. And he is open. He is hand throwing up open because Harrison Smith is not going to catch him right away. Fields is already rolling right. He was looking to this side. This is where this play was supposed to go. Placement is key here. He leaves it a little bit shallow instead of pressing it deeper into the end zone. Again, this is a super fine slice on what is a tiny throw. Right. He throws. Right at the right time. If you look at when he lets go of the ball, it is just when he is starting to break Harrison's ankles. <laughs> like he couldn't have thrown it much earlier because, again, if Harrison throws a hand up and, and blocks him or whatever else, he's going to be throwing that ball into space, into nowhere. It's going to look terrible. So he throws it as soon as I think he probably humanly can. And that makes it so it's tight just because of the angle that they're running at towards the sideline corner of the end zone Harrison's got good makeup speed he ends up making a play on this ball and it's it's one of those things like could he gone a little bit deeper to the corner yeah but that's that's an insanely difficult throw you know could he have thrown it a little bit earlier uh, maybe I don't know how that's that's almost that Brett Favre I know he's going to get open that Aaron Rodgers I've worked with this guy for so long I'm just going to heave it up there because I know he's getting open I don't care how much they worked in the offseason. They're not to that level. So this, I think, is the best possible throw fields can make under the circumstance, and it just doesn't work out, but they missed it by, like, this much. Yeah, you wonder, you know, I mean, again, Mooney gets open, and, you know, so how many people uh, running that route, particularly on this team, are going to be able to get that kind of open in that situation? You know, if you're throwing a T. Higgins, T. Higgins is catching that because he's able to body that that ball a little better, right? Like he's able to use his size, the high point it, twist around. Harrison Smith's not going to be able to make a play on it. Mooney doesn't have that size. And so it's just it's one of those plays where probably did about the best you could, you know, at least like a 90, 90 percenter. Um, and you know, the margin for error is very, very small and just, just didn't have and, and he give Harrison Smith credit for recovery and, and making a nice play on the ball. I mean, he, he, that was a veteran play, you know, he, he knew exactly what he was doing in that moment. He timed his jump. He timed his swipe. 
um, that was a, about as a perfect defense play from where he was, you know, a second and a half before that. So it's a, it's a very impressive uh, pass breakup. I agree with you. You know, the only thought that I had was like, God, could he put a little bit more on it? But then he put a little more on it. You know what I mean? Because you know, like Mooney kind of slow, Mooney kind of slowed up a little bit. Maybe is a little bit more mustard. But again, you're 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 really, yeah. uh, you know, picking nits here, and it, it is what it is. It's, I think you got to just kind of tip your cap to the other guy at that point. Yeah, it was very close. It was a bang bang play. Could have gone either way for either team. You know, went the Vikings way. Could have gone the Bears way pretty easily. Reminds me of that scene in Goodfellas where they're slicing the garlic with the razor blade, right? <laughs> just a little finer, a little finer. Uh, you know, you can do that all day long. It turns out it's just a good play. The other guys get paid too. Um, but again, it wasn't a bad play from the Bears. It wasn't a huge mistake or a bad miss. It was a good play, good design, good play by the other guys. That's all it is. Uh, the Phantom Rushing TD, this is this is Fields' long TD called back by a somewhat questionable, well-acted holding call. Um, this is impossible to defend against, folks. This is what Justin Fields brings you. The Vikings have a guy on Fields. <laughs> they have a guy on Fields, and he just runs around him. He flat out runs right around him. He's like, I see you, and you're not going to catch me, and you can't even reach me, so I'm just going to run around you. And then he just snakes through the rest of the defense because he is fast. He has good vision. He slips through another little at tackle that I would expect to be made because of the angles of the defender. Just breaks the angles with the speed, runs right through the middle of it, and they're both are just like, I thought I had him. And, you know, goes the rest of the, rest of the way, snakes into the middle of the end zone. Great sell by Dantzler on the holding call um threw his hands up fell over you know it's gonna happen sometimes it scares a defense like they were worried before or frustrated because he was picking up easy first downs this scares a defense quarterback just takes off when you have a guy on him and runs 50 yards for a touchdown it's not defensible right you, you need to have a justin fields on defense shadowing justin fields not everybody does and this was a case where Vikings got caught by it. Uh, they got very lucky that they got that call. I mean, it does happen. It's not an exceptional call or an exceptionally terrible call. It was well acted. Vikings got it. Good for them. They were still shitting themselves about this one because there is not a way, <laughs> not a way to fix this. Um, so first play after the penalty. This is one of my favorite plays of the whole game, and it's super PBR throw. This is a blitz beater. Ball's on the 50, second and nine, empty. Commits in the tight slot to the field. Commits, defender, blitzes. He has a linebacker lined up over him and a defensive end. They both blitz. Justin sees it immediately, and what you do is throw into the blitz. They tell you over and over again as a quarterback, you're going to throw hot, throw into the blitz. Throw where they just vacated that space. He sees him immediately on the blitz. Nails Komet in the chest on basically a little hot slant route. I love this play. Love, love, love it means he's got great pre-snap recognition. He sees it immediately. The throw is perfect, and Komet just goes and gets yards. Goes from being what we've seen typically as a negative play, a big sack, to a big positive play. And my favorite thing about this is it's on tape now. If you hit these, defenses will blitz less. They will not. Once you prove you can beat it and hurt them, and you do it somewhat consistently, they will blitz less. Fields will see less blitzes because of this play. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Looks super simple. It's it's bang bang, super quick. Gets a snap. Nails Komet. Komet just mashes into a defender and run. And like looks like oh okay. No, this is a great play. It's exactly what you're supposed to do, and he does it beautifully and immediately. And it's going to save him some punishment later in the year. And I just I love everything about that. Uh, the check down to Montgomery. 
I love it again because it's a check down, right? Take what the defense gives you. Uh, if it's not there, get what you can and live to fight another play. He checks down to Montgomery. Montgomery gets a you know a big gain out of it, which is nice. But again, it was the right call. He was looking at the halo of receivers farther down the field, didn't like anything. Montgomery was right there. He pops it to him. Montgomery ends up making a really nice run after the catch, which we know he can do. That's awesome. Um, and the sack two plays later, Mooney's open in the middle of the field, but this is not on Justin. Like Komet makes a chip block, which is not great. And it's one of those things where he chips the guy and he chips him to the outside and he doesn't chip him very much. And he pushes his path slightly farther outside and Montgomery comes up with a more interior angle and then can't reach the guy because he's supposed to be picking up off the chip. So there's two guys, two offensive players assigned to this blitzing defender or, or rushing defender. He's not a blitzer. Uh, and neither one of them get him and Justin gets sacked immediately. So Mooney did come wide open in the middle of the field. Justin had no chance to see him. That guy basically ran on a pretty straight line and Komet went, uh, and Mooney went, oh crap, that means he's outside <laughs> the radius and I can't get him. And he he's directly in Justin's lap inside two, 2.1 seconds, something like that. So you might look at the all 22 and say, oh, he's got receivers. And then you look back and you're like, oh yeah. And he's got a defender in his grill right now because two guys, we're supposed to stop him and neither one did. So just one of those things, little breakdown more to what we've seen in the first month. One of the few negative plays from the second half. Um, and then last play a buck 34 left in the game. Uh, Supreme sack avoidance becomes a big play. Um, ball in the bears 25 it's second and 19. And without this play, there's no hope. There is no uh, Mir Smith, Marset fumble. we like that play. Never right, right. happens. Um, Jenkins gets beat. He gets flat beat. Guy gives him an inside. He leans hard on his left foot. Guy goes around to the outside. He turns around and dumps him, <laughs> pushes him in the back and dumps him at Justin's feet. Justin sees the 300 pounder basically get delivered onto the top of his cleats. He still, as that's happening, hits Montgomery in the middle of the field. Montgomery makes this big gain, gets an extra, he gets 22 yards just short of midfield. And all of a sudden that sort of the bears are in business, right? This is the bears in business play happened because Justin reacted really, really quickly to a rusher that again was on him way faster than he should have been. And he just got the ball to his playmaker. I love this. This is a, this is a chain moving play. So when you stack all those plays up and then you stack the stats he had and the ones he missed, the ones he left on the field when he hit guys in the hands or he just missed a touchdown on the boundary or, you know, miscommunicated with Mooney, like this easily could have been a 300 yard, three touchdown game, like very easily could have been a 300 yard, three touchdown game. And if that's, if he has that game, we're talking about this in even a completely different tone. We're already talking about it in a positive tone. We're talking about it in a glowing tone at that point. So there's a lot here to like. Yeah, I agree. It, and going back and watching it a little closer, you feel even better about it. Like yeah. that's the point is like, we, you know, you, you have to go test those assumptions, right? Like that. Otherwise, uh, otherwise you're just kind of like, yeah, I think I played pretty well. And you know, that's with all of these guys, right? A lot of times when we're picking the players, sometimes it's like, yeah, it seemed like Montgomery had a great game. I'm going to, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at it. Uh, or he obviously had a great game. I'm going to go back and look at it. How much was him? How much was the line? Right. That was kind of the question I wanted to answer. You're, you're trying to answer a question when you're going back and, and watching all these players, you know, in depth for you're just watching them or you're watching the play design and all that. Uh, you know, quarterback, you kind of have to understand everything that's going on, but you, you, you see it, 
you see it. Whereas before, haven't really seen it. And so it, no, it was not consistently. And that's no, a yeah, here and there. Of you, course, get, you get a flash, but it's like one a right. quarter or right. one, you know, two a quarter, but they're 10 minutes apart in different drives. And you're just like, that's not, that's not winning football. No, you all of a sudden you started to see good plays. You started to see basic and kind of mundane plays that help drive stack. And you're like, Oh, and then you see a couple of big shots and they work or they're really close. And you're like, all right, that feels like it's working. Like that feels like um, somebody said to me, I think it was Bill Zimmerman said to me when I was on his pod, felt like the offense belonged in the NFL. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what it felt like. Um, and it's true. When you see that happen, if you haven't seen it happen for like a month, yeah, we started asking some questions about, you know, when this thing needs to turn the corner and soon, when is it going to happen? This looks like a bit of a corner turning. Well, let's add in uh, the screen here for those of you that are watching watching on youtube you'll you'll see my my powerpoint uh slide here for those of you that are listening uh we'll post this you can you can see it otherwise uh, to to give get an idea here but i just wanted to map what fields throws look like in this game but i wanted to start with what he was able to do in the first four and you know what what are, are are we seeing anything and again it's the monsoon game it's the you know it's against a good defense uh you know there, there's all those caveats and all that kind of stuff but if you look at if you really map out his throws in the first four games you know he's 34 of 61 471 yards two touchdowns four interceptions that's really bad statistics um if you if you look at a lot of where he's throwing the ball there's a lot of screens there's a lot of behind the line of scrimmage throws or at the line of scrimmage throws overall not bad in terms of his ability to complete those not that that's high degree of difficulty but you know a lot of them aren't getting blown up or anything like that there, there's some good gainers in there as well the screen game is not terrible like it's been in years past in chicago so so that's good uh i would say there's there's definitely favoritism on throws to the right uh in the in the early games for sure that there's there's a higher volume to the right he had more of his he had both of his uh, touchdown passes to the right but also a couple of his interceptions to the right at least you know right hash uh, over and then one down the middle of the field that ugly one in the middle of the field um you know not a lot of shots in the first four games you know there's there's uh you know five balls past 30 yards um over four games i don't think that's probably enough for a guy like justin and and of course the volume's not there but anyway i just wanted to map that out first kind of see what that looked like um before i mapped the game and so i'm gonna again for the youtube people i did do a little animation here uh to, to of course show. you of course you did the progress of the the passes uh, through the game. So if the if the dot is moving, that means there was a yards after catch in the path of the run. So that that's what that stands for there. Um, but basically, as you as you kind of see this game progress, you're seeing that most of the incompletions happened early, and then Justin in the second half was in, was incredibly efficient. And in, you know, if you break it out by quarter. You know, the first half, there was barely any real activity in this passing game. I mean, first quarter, he was two for four, 34 yards. Second quarter, one for four, 39 yards, um, which it's really shocked me. I didn't I didn't expect that. Um, and then if you, third quarter, six out of seven, 72 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown was 
behind the line of scrimmage and, you know, Valus Jones did the rest, but still counts as a touchdown. It's a pass. And then the fourth quarter, six for six, 63 yards. I mean, this was, you know, you saw Kirk Cousins and Kirk Cousins starts off hot. He's 17 to 17. Uh, you know, he sets a team record, you know, looks like they're just going to boat race the bears and all that. But then like he started to kind of go back to Kirk Cousins and not be 17, not 17 for us. I don't know. His stats were still good at the end of the game, but you know, he, he started slowing down. Whereas, whereas Justin started a little bit rough and then really, and, and some of that wasn't his fault. There was those drops and all that, but then he really started picking it up. And so part of what, you know, and again, this is one game and there just isn't a lot of volume, but you, you get this sense that like, Hey, this guy's kind of like a guy that needs some reps, Like you need to keep feeding this. It's almost like a, one of those running backs. It's like, you know, when he's got his 20th carry, he's, he has softened up the defense. So it's Derrick Henry, right? Like where sure. you keep feeding him the ball and he just softens the defense. And, and then he looks, uh, you know, incredible down, down the stretch in the fourth quarter because he's got everybody on his heels. And you just wonder if Justin just needs to get into the game a little bit. And, you know, there's a lot of that, like get him some easy completions early or whatever. I just think you need to just call his number more. I just think you need to get him into the game. It's not even just easy completions. It's just get him playing, just, just go. And, and uh, maybe I'm, again, it's, it's one, it's one game. You can't find a pattern in one game, but it, it sure felt like once he, got into it that he just was on a roll and so how do you get him in early you don't need to baby him just throw him in like let's go let's get him don't let him overthink things just get him playing ball um and so the the third graph that i pulled up i added all of those uh uh, game five throws in with the, the the map from the first four games so that you can see how i've mapped that out and then i pulled the next gen stats uh, graph where they put the quarterback rating and compare it against the league average. Um, so the, you know, the green spots are where Justin's performing particularly better than the league average quarterback uh, for that zone um, where he's throwing the football. Red is less, uh, uh, worse than the average quarterback and yellow is about average. And so when you, you map it out here, I just found it kind of interesting. You know, there's, there's three spots where it's green. Um, you know, they're, they're well over hundred. You don't have enough data in any of these spots to say like, Oh, he's really great in this area of the field. It's too early, but this is something that maybe you can kind of see as we go along. If this, if there is, if there are some areas that emerge, but for the most part, this map isn't that bad, you know, for, for a quarterback that has had a rough start, that this map really isn't that bad. Um, short area to the right, just not a lot of volume, but, you know, it's, it's not not great in terms of the production there uh, relative to league average. And then there's nothing deep middle. But over, other than that, he's been pretty good to all areas of the field um, or or even really good in, in some areas. And so I I, I guess it's early. You have to keep mapping this. You don't have critical mass, particularly, you know, five games you might for some quarterbacks, but sure. the way that this is broken out, we don't have that here. Um, we don't have enough volume to really tell much here. This is more like two and a half games for a typical quarterback. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll revisit this again down the line and we'll see if we can kind of see a little bit more once we have more, more data points. But I think 
overall the my original or my my initial takeaway from kind of mapping this out and seeing this is that he isn't necessarily taking enough deep shots for my liking because that's what he's good at and so hopefully that that increases but he is willing to make pretty much every throw like you see a lot of throws along the sideline um you know you, you see throws over the middle this is there isn't like a there isn't a hole where there's just nothing that you know there's some quarterbacks that will not throw over the middle or there's some quarterbacks that will not make those throws along the sideline because they don't have the arm for it right like there there just are some throws that some quarterbacks can't make because of their height right i'm thinking russell wilson right like there's just some areas of the field he won't go to um I don't see that here. I, I see a quarterback that's willing to throw wherever. Um, there's just not enough volume here to really, you know, show the true story of where this where the season might go for him. Yeah, it would be different if we had a higher volume of throws. Say he threw 30 passes a game for five five games, right? 150 passes. Like I think we would have a different picture. And obviously, if the games were a lot more like the Vikings game, we would have a very different picture because that feels like the first time to me this season that the Bears passing game specifically was really working. There have been times where the rushing game has been amazing this year um, and looked on point and able to get yards whenever it wanted to. But it was this dichotomy of like, well, the rushing game is crushing people. And then, oh, oh, they tried to pass. Boy, did that look terrible. Nobody got open. He got sacked uh, over and over and over again. So it was this real like black and white one zero binary kind of thing. Can't run an offense like that. So the Viking game was the first game where I felt like, oh, no, they're they're getting plays in the passing game. And, you know, going back and looking at the all 22, they left a few plays in the passing game there that they easily could have had. And again, that would have made a very different impression you start to have if we start to see like you said in the open some momentum on thursday and they they have a similarly productive game against the commanders in the past game um whether or not they complete it all again we don't really care about the wins and losses we want them but that's not the thing here it's did they have a good design did they run good routes were the plays there to be made if they make them awesome if that adds up to a win even better but more interestingly we want to see you know let's see 25 pass attempts and and let's not get in a 21 point hole in the first quarter um let's see if we can sort of play from the beginning both in sort of number of attempts and and hanging with the opposition maybe hit a couple of those early touchdowns or even just one uh through the air and see what that game looks like and build that game after game, even if that only goes for the next three or four games, it'll be really interesting to take a chart like this and say, okay, since <laughs> since the beginning of the Vikings game, his chart looks like this, whereas before the Vikings game, the previous four games looked like this. And I want to see a pretty stark difference there, and I feel like there was no reason to believe that was coming other than blind faith before the Vikings game. And now it's like, no, it's on tape. Look, he did it. Let him do it some more. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, 100% agree, except for the part where you said, um, you know, we don't really care about a win on Thursday because I do, because I'm going to yeah. be there. I just want, I'm very selfish. Well, I didn't, I meant the season. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. actually really deeply desire a win because 
I, I love the guys from the Irish Bear Show, but I love you and your mom even more. And I can't believe it's her first game game. I mean, not practice at Soldier Field. And I want, frankly, nothing more than a win for her over the Commanders. And I think it's really possible. For sure. Um, I I just want, I, this is just the word of caution to Justin Fields, who does not watch or listen to this show, but maybe somebody <laughs> that talks to Justin does. Stay away from Cam Curl. Like, Cam Curl is playing really good football right now. <laughs> Nobody's talking about Cam Curl. Cam Curl's playing excellent football right now. If you if you got if you've got a eh, it's just Cam Curl on him shot, maybe maybe check down on that one. Okay. Um, yeah. I, other than that, this is a team that I think the Bears can take advantage of and can get a win out of. They are not steamrolling anybody. They have their very own issues on offense. Um, the defense has been up and down. There's not a tremendous pass rush right now. Um, you know, Cam Curl aside, the defense has been playing not super great. Cam Curl's been playing amazing. Like this is a this is a team that the Bears could win against, even in their current state. And there's not that many of those. And I'd love to see it. And because now that I know that you and your mom are going to be there, I want to see it. Well, let's uh, let's get out of here so I can pack and, and get ready. Um, but uh, let's talk about the beers before that uh, or the drinks before that, since I brought on bourbon. Uh, how was your Pabst Blue Ribbon? I Pabst is my cheap beer of choice. I love Pabst. It agrees with me. I agree with it. Um, it is it is known and expected. You know what you're getting when you get a Pabst. If you get a bunch of fresh Pabst from someplace that sells a bunch of it, it's even better. A little bit little bit sweeter if you're sort of into that sort of thing um i it's just you can count on it right probably very similar feeling that your grandfather had like i'm gonna have a whole bunch of this because i know what i'm getting and it's gonna be on hand so nothing unexpected everything you're looking for that's that's the gig with paps how was your smoke wagon because i i just love the name uh and great, great marketing, great, great packaging. I mean, honestly, again, not a sponsor, but if you would like to be, um, let me know uh, if you guys are watching out there. Yeah, the these guys too, because these sure. guys are pretty fun. Sure. Uh, right. they, they sponsor live music and they've got a lot more cash than most people. So Paps, if you want to come on board, we'd love to have you. We would love to have you. So uh, they, they describe this as uh, our high rye content bourbon is aged in the heart of a century old brick warehouse barrels. Uh, and sorry, I was going to say they make their, they make their barrels out of brick. Sorry. There's a period. It's all caps. So it's very hard to read. And then it's like in gold. This is uh, a font thing. Barrels are hand selected to create a perfect blend that is smooth, delicate, uh, and at the same time, bold and intense. This unique complexity is achieved by combining multiple vintages of the same mash bill. So, I actually think I can taste that. I didn't read that before that, but I think that I can taste that in that you do have a smooth uh, finish, which is great. Like a, it's a smooth experience, but you do taste like kind of the spiciness of a, of a younger, that's certainly the rye. You taste the spiciness or maybe even smokiness, uh, the charness of, of a younger bourbon, but you still get kind of the nice mellow flavors that kind of achieve at the end of the finish. And so, I wasn't, I thought it was, this was kind of marketing and was just kind of, you know, <laughs> whatever. Dirty bottle. Um, yeah. I, and especially a, a, a first pour. Uh, a lot of times the first pour out of right. a new bottle isn't that great. It's called neck pour. And sometimes it's just not that great. And you just kind of have to let it 
open up a little bit. I'm pretty intrigued, actually. This was pretty decent. So um, we'll, we'll we'll see how the rest of the bottle goes. But a uh, pretty good first pretty good first uh, first run there. So uh, what do you got going on this week? Um, it's again short week uh, for for us at the site. There's tons of stuff up already, and then the game will be tomorrow. I'm going live. I mean, at some point, at some point, Robert and I are going to try to figure out how to do 10 minute drill live uh, and oh. I can do it like at the stadium or maybe even inside the stadium. That'd and, be cool. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I just asked him if he wanted to go live, um, sure. his, you know, while I was there. So we're going to, we're going to try that. So, you know, hang around, uh, you know, see the YouTube notification pop up, uh, check us out to, uh, to check out the live stream and you can see, uh, you know, live from soldier field. And I'll try to find the Irish beers guys too. Uh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, either way, it's going to be great. Um, I was on Bill Zimmerman's pod, which dropped today. Um, obviously this will come out tomorrow, uh, on the channel for those of you that didn't watch it live. Um, bootleg came out today, which is Wednesday. We'll be doing the Thursday night live stream, which is strangely enough, commanders versus bears over on the bootleg YouTube channel as per usual, um, running all our, Good slips with our friends from Prize Picks, so swing by and check that out. And yeah, that's uh, that's the formal schedule. I keep getting asked to do other stuff, but uh, that's the stuff I know about right now. I'll just put that caveat out there. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll get out of here. We will uh, stick around for the YouTube crowd for some Q and A. But uh, for you guys listening on the podcast, thanks for joining us. Until next time, bear down. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.